What is up? This is the 72 Podcast. I'm excited to have you join me today. Today's message is titled, United Living Heart to Heart. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a comment, let me know how I'm doing. Let's get into it. So me and my wife are on vacation in Fredericksburg. If you've never been, make time and go out. It is a nice little town, uh, very simple, good places to eat. Uh, But they have this little antique shop. And the thing about an antique shop is you never know what you're going to get when you go in. Well, every antique shop has like a, a small book section. And in their book section, I found this gigantic book. It's like leather bound and bound with like a piece of string. It was so weird. But this book is called The Treasure Chest. In this book, there is a quote from somebody. They actually don't attribute the author. But it says this. We marvel at the silence that divides the living from the dead. Yet more apart are they who all life long live side by side, yet never heart to heart. See, I like this saying. Because to me, it says you can live your life with people. You can work with people all the time. But you never have a deeper relationship than the surface level. And to me, that's sad. It's sad that we never get past that. Oh, hey, Terry, how you doing? Uh, Oh, hey, Bob, how you doing? You having a good time? Yeah. Okay, cool. That's all we get is just that surface level relationship. You see, we are more connected today than ever, yet so divided that the connections we have now can be easily broken when viewpoints differ over time. We no longer believe in grace but continue to raise the bar of expectations so high that when we fall, we never hit the bottom. If you've ever played video games and you glitch out of the world and begin that endless fall and nothingness, that is what it's like when you fall from grace on this side of heaven. We are so adverse to true connection that we allow anything to destroy the relationship. We have become so used to everything being easy Indisposable. I play video games. It's how I unwind, how I relax, how I recharge. One of my favorite games of the past two years is Metroid. In this game, you play as a bounty hunter that has a power suit. This is part of a series of games started back in the 80s on the original NES. This game is hard, and like all the other games, you start off with a power suit and a simple arm cannon. In every single game, you lose all of your upgrades at the very beginning. Now you have to explore this alien world while upgrading your power suit along the way. Every new upgrade allows you to explore more of the world. There's no real mission structure where you're told to go here or to do this. Rather, you're presented with a problem and told to figure it out. I like this game because of the story and the challenge. Now let's just say, in this game I could just purchase all of the upgrades from a shop right off the bat, using real money. Does this make me better at the game? Does this make the game more fun? Or would it rather make the game too easy? These are called microtransactions. Microtransactions have made Fortnite the highest grossing game ever made. Multiple games nowadays are not just selling you an item, they're selling you convenience. Now, I don't have to work or wait to get what I want in a game. I can just pay for it. We pay for convenience more than anything. Just as many of you don't remember a time before the internet, 
My kids and your kids will not remember a time before Amazon, Instacart, or Uber Eats. They will have grown up with these conveniences and likely be dependent on these services. Not just to get stuff, but to get food and everyday essentials. This dependence isn't seen as a dependence, nor is it seen as a relationship. Yet Amazon knows just about everything there is to know about you. Like a childhood friend, it knows what you want for your birthday, your favorite coffee, your shoe size, the car you drive. If you have an Alexa, it knows about the type of music you like, your routine, your house, your spouse, your wife, and your kids. You may say, oh, a relationship is give and take. Well, Amazon supplies you a service and you provide payment, whether that's money or information. You and Amazon have built this relationship for years, whether you realize it or not. You might say, I don't care about Amazon like I do my friend. But if Amazon were ever to go out of business, you would miss them. Just like if I haven't seen my wife in a couple of days, I'd miss her. We are so adverse to relationships because we might become dependent on someone else. If they leave, we are left alone. So instead of believing better to have once loved and loss than to have never loved at all, we choose better to love me than someone else. Yet we don't view our dependence on Amazon as a bad thing. Amazon never really lets me down except for those few times my package didn't arrive on time. Everyone needs some grace, except that friend that said the wrong thing that I didn't agree with. Me and my friend don't have the same type of relationship like me and Amazon do. Well, if Amazon said something off-putting, Will you immediately stop shopping with them? No, you will hear them out. You'll see why they said what they did. You are dependent on them so much, you just don't want to give them up unless you have to. Maybe if I were more dependent on some people, I would hear them out too. Maybe if I invested time, energy, and money into people, I wouldn't just write them off, but that would mean developing real, meaningful relationships. Jonathan and David, from the Bible, have a unique relationship. Jonathan being the son of Saul, the current king of Israel at the time, and David being the new anointed king of Israel. So when they first meet in 1 Samuel 18, 3-4, this is what happens. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that it was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. You see, what had happened was David had just killed Goliath and was speaking with Saul. I think in my head, I view this as Jonathan just listening to all the things David is saying and explaining to Saul about the situation that he just got out of with Goliath and just something just stirring within Jonathan's heart. So, what happens is they make a covenant, then Jonathan takes off his robe, his armor, his sword, and gives it to David. This today seems weird, but the robe and armor represented Saul's lineage, meaning Jonathan's inheritance, meaning Jonathan is the next king of Israel if you were to go by lineage. But this is unique because David is anointed as the next king of Israel. So what Jonathan is doing is he's saying, I'm giving up my kingship, my next inheritance, and I'm giving it to you, David. 
because you are anointed as the next king of Israel. You see, they make a, a covenant or an alliance because Jonathan loved David as his own soul or as he loved himself. This is like loving your neighbor as yourself found in Leviticus 19.18, but with more intensity. A robe back in their culture signified your status. Joseph getting the robe of many colors from his father Isaac, later with Elijah and Elisha, with Elijah passing the robe to Elisha or passing the mantle to the next successor. This is a type of friendship that many of us are lacking. We yearn for this type of relationship. The problem is we get it twisted. Instead of being that type of friend, we only want to receive that type of commitment. We view this type of relationship as something we want in a spouse and spouse only. We have twisted the idea of friendship and made it into something it's not. I love my wife. She is my best friend, and I can't see my life without her. I also have a best friend outside of my marriage, and I can't see my life without him as well. I can't expect my wife to be the bend all to be the in-all, be-all, and fulfill all of my relationship needs. If I were to do that, I would set such a high level of expectation on my wife that she would never be able to fulfill, undermining my relationship and my marriage with her. I also have friends besides my best friend. My best friend loves hockey. I don't like hockey. But I have a group of friends that love basketball, and we play basketball together. Does my wife or best friend feel like I'm abandoning them when I go play basketball with my other group of friends? No. My wife and my best friend don't really have an interest in basketball, and that's okay. What's not okay is for me to expect them to like it because I like it. Let's look at something more serious. Should I expect my wife to be the only person I lean on when something massively changes in my life? Now, she is willing to do this. Yes, with no question she is. Here's the problem. Many times, this type of stress will destroy a marriage and relationships in general. It is better to play team ball than rely on a Michael Jordan to always win the game. He is a once-in-a-lifetime talent, but even Jordan had a Scottie Pippen, Steve Kerr, Dennis Rodman, and Tony Kukoc. When he needed to, he would rely on them to make a play. When you can be dependent on a team rather than an individual, you allow the burden to be evenly distributed between a few people. Jonathan and David looked out for each other. And when Saul the king, Jonathan's father, wanted to kill David, Jonathan came up with a plan to gauge whether Saul wanted to kill him or not. Saul hurls a spear at Jonathan after he refuses to bring David to Saul so he could kill him. When David hears this, he knew it would be the last time he would probably see Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 24-1, it says this, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. This is where people try to make the Bible weird, especially nowadays where most relationships are viewed as with an emphasis on spousal relationship, since nowadays anyone could be your spouse whether it's both male or female, or even if you want to marry a hologram like the guy in Japan. So when two men kiss each other, people tend to use it to justify themselves. This scripture is very similar to the times many brothers were departing or coming back together. In Genesis 33, 1-4, it says this, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming. 
and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among them, Leah and Rachel, and two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went out before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. When Jacob meets back up with his brother Esau, or when Joseph reunites with his brothers in Genesis 45, 14-15, it says this, Then he fell upon his brothers Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and they kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. David and Jonathan viewed each other as brothers. And I'm sure Jonathan, being 10 years older than David, viewed him as his little brother. David was forced to go on the run, possibly to never see Jonathan again. In their culture, intense emotions were expressed through tears and sometimes a kiss. When this occurs, it is the last time the two will see each other. And when David finds out about Jonathan's death in 2 Samuel 1, 25 through 26, it says this, How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of woman. He calls him his brother. This isn't David just saying they were close like brothers. David was adopted into the family back in 1 Samuel 18.2. Saul would not allow David to return to his father's house. David stayed in the king's house eating at his table. And when you eat at the table, you are family. David has been a part of the family since he was around 15, and 15 years has passed since David was adopted by the king. He and Jonathan viewed each other as family, as brothers, as souls united together. They were also warriors, having served together, protecting their families, their king, and the people of Israel. They were brothers in arms. When he said, your love to me is extraordinary, surpassing the love of women, this is a statement today that can be seen as a way of saying he loves Jonathan as a spouse or just more than his wives. This is not the case. The love he is talking about is that of sacrificial love Jesus has for us. A woman's role in that day and age wasn't to lay down her life for her family. The husband was to be a protector willing to lay down his life for his family. The wife was to take care of the family. There was an expectation on men to be willing to lay down their lives for their families. This is the type of love Jonathan had for David and vice versa. It is also the type of love many soldiers have for each other. It is a commitment the U.S. military makes to leave no one behind. The willingness to go into harm's way to bring a fallen soldier back and to be willing to sacrifice yourself in the line of duty. David never forgets his commitment, and in 2 Samuel 9-7, David adopts Jonathan's son, Mephiloseth. David asks if there is not someone in the house of Saul that he may show the kindness of God to him. David is keeping his covenant he made with Jonathan back in 1 Samuel 20. Do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off everyone of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. David makes a seat for the table for Jonathan's son, showing the steadfast love God has for us. 
when he finally finds Mephilaseth, it says this in 1 Samuel 9, 7. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all of the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. David prepared a place for Mephilaseth. Just as Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, 1 through 4, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to it myself, that where I am, you may be also. The disciples, when hearing this, are confused and don't understand what's going to happen to him shortly. Jesus is talking about sacrificing himself for everyone. David, not wanting to forget his covenant between himself and Jonathan, showed God's steadfast love by adopting Mephilaseth and making a place for him at the table. David clearly knew what God's love is. We are made in God's image, as it says in Genesis. What David is doing is he's reflecting God's image, God's reflection on Mephilaseth. And you see, when we do that, when we reflect God's love, who God is, we make the world around us and the people around us better. We can tell from Scripture that when David adopted Mephilaseth, it was a reflection of who Jesus is as he makes a place for us. Paul put it best in Romans eleven seventeen. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Being grafted in or adopted into the family of God, we share in the nourishment from the root, just as Melphiliseth shared in the riches of the king. Here in Texas, if you are over the age of 12, you must give your consent in order to be adopted. God is the same way. In order for you to be adopted in the family of God, you must give your consent. You do this by saying a prayer. This prayer is a magical word. It won't solve all your problems. It's accepting the gift that only Jesus has the authority to give. By saying this prayer, you are taking your seat at the table. If you would like to take your seat at the table that Jesus is offering, repeat after me. Heavenly Father, you said in Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 that if I would confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that I would be saved. Today, I am doing that. I confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. In your name, I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer with me today, let me know by visiting my website at 72podcast.com. That's 72, the number 72podcast.com. And fill out the form on the homepage. So what did we learn today? It's okay to be dependent on someone. Dependency can be an investment, a reason to give grace to people in our lives. Be a friend. Many people say they have no friends, yet they themselves are not a friend. Invest in someone. 
a team can carry more weight together. It's unfair for us to expect one person to handle the weight of our world on their shoulders, like Atlas. Our love can be passed down to those we choose to love. God's love is something we choose to accept. Always given, but not always accepted, making His love steadfast. Thank you for listening. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you continue to do for us and through us. Give us the courage to love with grace. Surround us with people that draw near to you so together we can grow in you. In your name I pray, amen. Subscribe, leave a review, and I'll catch you next time on the 72 Podcast. God bless.